This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another edition of Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Greetings, one and all. It's still the lockdown. It's still happening. We don't know what's happening, but loads is happening. America is on fire. And it's all kicking off, but don't let that get to you. Don't worry. We'll come through the other side. We'll all be fine. Don't you worry about that. Before we begin, uh, I just want to say thank you again to all you lovely people for putting in your your five-star reviews. JW487, thank you so much for being so wonderful. Uh, we really appreciate that putting in the the, the, the reviews and, and 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 it all helps. If anyone when you're listening to this, please do that. Go go to uh, Spotify or Acast or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if there's that, if there's that, uh, if you're able to do that, leave us a review. Uh, you know, put five stars. Don't do any less than that. It's a waste of time because this is a five star show. Um, do that for us and then it just pushes us up the charts it pushes us into the into the ears of other people and it just gets more people listening to it so we we, we, we can do more things so that'd be lovely if you could do that that'd be great thank you so much so yeah thank you for that um we've also we've got uh, don't forget we've got islington radio we've got our radio show that we do which is on mixcloud now it, all you need is the app just get the app the mixcloud app it doesn't cost you anything get the mixcloud app and then you go on there, put in Tuned Up Time Machine, and then that will take you to the greatest radio show that you've ever heard. It's really good. Honestly, even I've listened to it. It's you, You'll really enjoy it. The music's great. The chat's brilliant. Um, if you've got any requests, drop me a line. I'm on Instagram and things like that. Uh, on Instagram, is Tuned Up Time Machine, or I Am Rich Wilson, or on Twitter, I Am Rich Wilson. You can find me. Drop me a line. Even if you want to just say hello and have a chat. Drop me a line, especially now when we're all locked away and we've got, we're all worried about what's going on and we're locked away from each other. Drop me a line. I have a chat with quite a few people actually. We get messages all the time. So do that. Have a chat. And, and if you want to, if you're there, or some music that you, I've not heard, you think I've not heard and would like, I think I would dig, tell me about it. Let's hear about it. Let's, let's get into this. Speaking of which, also what we're doing with the podcast, we're doing a thing called Patreon for the Patreons, uh, Patreon Picks. Uh, and that's where we'll get our lovely patrons to tell us about a favourite episode of theirs or a favourite guest. 
And uh, what we're going to start doing, we've done this already, but we're going to start having a chat with the wonderful Patreon. So we'll, if you let us know, uh, and what we'll do, we'll get producer Paul to hook us up and then we'll have a little bit of a chat, like properly ch- a proper chat, and then we'll put that out as a little snippet. Um, and so people will listen to that and they go, oh, this is intriguing. And then they'll come and listen to the podcast. So we're going to do that. So that's to our patrons. Drop me a line and then you and I will have a, we'll have a proper not an interview a conversation you can tell me about yourself and what you what you how what you enjoy about the podcast and why and blah 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 and then we'll do that and then we'll put that out so many things so uh, if you want to become a patreon which is always lovely um do that it's just a, it's like you can just a couple of quid every month and that just helps us keep the lights on you know we, we you know we don't make any money from doing this we put it we we put all everything we get goes back into the podcast so if you want to do that and support the podcast that would be wonderful as well you are wonderful do you know what though if you're actually just listening to this that's enough i love that thank you so much for listening it means it's worth doing if people are listening to it let's get on with the episode this week's guest um comedy royalty uh, podcasting royalty definitely uh, I've, I've been a big fan of this man for many years since the 90s when he's with uh, it was um, uh, it was with uh, Leon Herring and I, I've wanted to get him on for ages because I've done I did his I did his uh, podcast and which again was kind of like whoa I can't believe I'm doing this um, Richard Herring is this week's guest and I, 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 what do you what do you what questions do you ask the man that has been asked and has asked probably every question that there ever has been or is going to be um, but I didn't have to worry about that he's so easy to talk to he came on and he just chatted away and it was wonderful uh, it was a real joy to have him on and it, yeah it's a real it, it's another moment for me going, oh, I can't believe Richard Herring came on you know it's, like, it's a nice moment and he was really cool and you'll hear that now so Oh, also, I've got to let you know, there'll be some, you'll hear in the background, there's doorbells and dogs and things like that. Maybe a cough here or there or uh, some noise from around and about the place. Because as you know, because uh, of the lockdowns now, we're, we're not, we're having to do this via, via clean feed and Zoom and, and via, via the internet. So you're going to get some noises of life going on around us. But don't worry about that. That shouldn't take away from your enjoyment. So coming up in just a bit is Richard Herring. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A podcast from producer Paul.co.uk. It's funny, I was because I was I was excited about having you on, but then I was a bit nervous as well because I'm like, how do you, how do you interview the man that interviews everybody? <laughs> like, you know, we were saying like, like we were saying last night, Jade and I were like, why don't you think of a question that he's never been asked? I'm like, Are you kidding? <laughs> I've thought of a lot of questions now. I think it'd be hard to find one that I've never. Occasionally, things come up that I think, oh, that's a quite a good idea, but you know, then it's it's uh, yeah, I think. But that as a comedian, that's just I think that's the only reason my podcast works is because i'm so well not the only reason but one of the reasons it works is because i'm so used to being interviewed by journalists who don't really know who i am that a yeah. if you bother to find a bit out of, about a person then they're impressed anyway but b if you ask them something they've they're unlikely to be asked before you get a much more interesting conversation so it's just you know when you when and and you know you've got with podcasts you've got that freedom to go on for 90 minutes if you want or a two, I mean, we used to do two hours sometimes with wow. the other ones wow and uh, you know you get some, into some interesting areas then and you kind of go off the beaten path and and people tell you stuff they haven't told anyone else and yeah. you know so i think it's even like the comedians you know like i had bill burr on who obviously has no idea who i am wow um and he seemed a bit like prickly at the start and you know thinking here's another thing but i think just by being interviewed by another comedian you you know he immediately kind of warmed up and warmed to to the conversation I think and gave he's he's quite you know he's sort of renowned for being quite dismissive and prickly and I think he had a good time so yeah um you know it's interesting so you know I think when you've been I've been doing comedy for a long time and obviously doing interviewing for a long time so uh, within that so it's yeah hopefully I'm getting better at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know so yeah <laughs> but it's that is it's I think. I, I really enjoy doing this. I like, I think it comes from because I, I MC a lot at gigs. Yeah. So yeah. So you're basically interviewing the audience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, I so I, that's why I really enjoy doing this. Yeah. And it's, well, it's a real skill know. to do that to do the MCing as well. And to pick up, I was Nina Conti was on my podcast yes last night, and she's so good. Yes. Yeah. What she's doing with the, her improvisational skills and her ventriloquist skills are just astonishing. But she's really great. What she does is sort of magic with audience participation. Uh, but she's obviously doing that. She's not interviewing anyone. She's doing both sides of the conversation. But it's <laughs> but it's uh, but it's absolutely it's absolutely beautiful to see. I've never seen anything quite like it really. When yeah. she gets the audience up and 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 sort of decides what their personality is and then goes into that. And she's basically interviewing herself, but doing it by judging the person who's up and their body language and stuff and and then the way the person reacts to that so that yeah. that's sort of interesting because that's interviewing someone without without letting them talk but they do, <laughs> but she does get a lot out of the, the people it's 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 apt i just i wrote in my book just this is fucking magic it's like magic what she does it's great but yeah so it's i really rest- i'm not so good i've tried to do ventriloquism on stage a couple of times and <laughs> so. uh and i'm too nervous to kind of really push it which i'm fine on doing uh, here at home, just said like go with it, and that's it's let, it's letting go, and I think that's the same with that emceeing and talking to the audience. It's just jumping in and and not being scared, isn't it? And not worrying yeah. about failure, and but it's that's a, that's it, a real yeah. skill. I think the people who do that well, the people who do it badly can kill a gig, and the people who do it well can just make a gig 
yes. fly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny we're doing this because it's because mental health is the jumping off point. But it sort of goes. Mm. Yeah, it goes. Look, as soon as you say to anybody, it's a mental health podcast. It, people immediately get a little bit nervous, and they're like, yeah. oh, "I might, oh, what, oh, I might, I might give too much away." And you're like, "Look, you, just relax, just relax." That's just the jumping off point. It goes sure, wherever. Sure. It's, you know, so you talk about it wherever you want. And it, yeah. But I, I find getting people to be guests on it is sometimes tricky. Sure, you know, I can see that. But, you know, I, I, but I sort of think comedy and mental health sort of go hand in hand, you know what I mean? And I think a, yeah. lot, a lot of what I do in my comedy is sort of flirting around with mental illness and, and where the line between sanity and insanity rests. Um, you know, and it's very, and there is no line really, and there's, it's a fluid thing, and what is sanity and what is insanity. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think that in the lots of the things I'm doing online, like the like the ventriloquist stuff, and like the playing snooker against myself, and I've just been out doing a stone clear where I've done a really properly crazy one. Yeah. Where just because coming out, coming off the, you know, what's happening in America as we're recording this. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, that's properly crazy. So I sort of like the idea of a man walking around a field trying to put stones in order sort of seems sane in response, <laughs> yeah. but also it has this messianic element to it where obviously the the character of Richard Herring, who's doing that, <laughs> who's very similar to me, uh, feels that he's on some kind of holy mission, which, you know, arguably a lot of politicians do as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But, I, you know, I've always, I think because it, it, that's what comedy is, isn't it? It's someone going, and partly it's someone going up on stage and disobeying the rules of, the polite rules of society and and picking away at the bits of our mind that we worry. You know, I think that's a worry, isn't it, to everyone that you're... Are, are you crazy? Are the things that you do in private normal? <laughs> or, are yeah. they, or are they not normal? And I think we we, we don't talk about it. And I think what you and a, and a few other people are doing with podcasts like this and, show, and, and some comedy shows as well uh, is great because it just allows people to go, oh, OK, so, yeah, you know, this isn't... I'm not, you know, it's not unusual to have these thoughts it's not yeah. unusual to be depressed it's not unusual to to not be able to hold it together all the time you know and i, th- yeah. and I think we society lives on this artifice and, and part of comedians jobs is to prick away at the artifice make us laugh about it but almost reinforce it as well because you know we got you can't have everyone leaving going yes i'm gonna throw away my whole life this whole life is a sham let's society and civilization is insane but you know it, it, we the, the human animal is just so unusual you know and so so unique i think yeah and possibly i was talking about this with nina i'm sort of joking but and people say there must be life elsewhere in the universe and i'm sure there's life of some kinds but i just wonder whether you know what's all the elements of chance that have led to us being here and surviving long enough and and all the ways we've adapted to the world i just wonder how often that sort of thing crops up that something of the right size with the right dexterity and the right brain size because you know there's been hundreds of millions of years on earth without anything like us (laughs) being around (laughs) and then we just an asteroid hitting and whatever and all the bits of luck and fortune that that allowed the human species to evolve um I wonder how often it happens, really, that you get sort of intelligent life, and and you know, it, it, it's not we're not really meant to, you know. Well, there's no meant in it because I don't think there's any plan. But are we, you know, most animals don't consider their lives and deaths, and no. <laughs> philosophy, and you know, and, and just get on with stuff. And we're sort of trapped in this craziness where where we where we're forced to acknowledge our own mortality and yeah. try to understand how the world works. 
and being yeah. curious about how the world works and coming up with theories of how the world works, some of which turn out to be true and some of which turn out to be, you know, in, in a lot of what keeps society running is insanity, isn't it? Religion is, yeah. is it keeps society running, but uh, it's certainly, even if you believe in it, you would, ha- would acknowledge that certain elements of religion go a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it, isn't it Finland or somewhere like that where they've now said that, uh, they now categorised um, religious faith as a mental illness. I don't know that, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's sort, of, but it, but you know, but it's it's obviously a human thing, and like what's happening in America again. Even though a lot of the people who support Trump probably are religious, that's become a little cult, hasn't it? It's become a cult of yeah. this guy is insisting uh, that he's that he can never be wrong, and uh, we believe him, and so he must have been cheated at this election. And despite the fact there's obviously no real evidence, and that the evidence is being presented is clearly fabricated, yeah. <laughs> because if you were so sophisticated to be able to 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 to, to, to cheat an election. You wouldn't have people, you know, film of people throwing but boats in the river or whatever. Uh, so, so, uh, so, you know, it's people believe in something so much, and people need, you know, there's obviously a human need to have faith in something. And I, I, when I did the show Christ on a Bike, which was about mm. my own relationship with Jesus and being brought up as a Christian, you know, we all believe in crazy, made up shit to get through life, you know, and and yeah. and everything's art. Everything in civilization is artifice. And we all have rules we live our life by, but they're not universal truths, you know, where they're just things we've decided uh, are a good way to run society. And some of them are a good way to run society and some of them were were a good way to run society <laughs> not anymore. And so, you know, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's when you really, and I think as comedians, we stop and think about stuff a lot. Um, and have time to think about stuff, and it's sort of our job to think about stuff. Mm. Uh, and when you do stop and think about it, it is you know it's 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 difficult not to be overwhelmed. Oh, for God. Uh, yeah, by, yeah, absolutely. By yeah. the the insanity of life, but but also hopefully, you know, by finding what what's insane, hopefully you can laugh at it and not go insane. But uh, that's what I find interesting about you know with all these things where I've flirted around with. Let's let's do something where I allow that crazy side of myself to come out in, in my comedy or, you know, push things a bit further. There's been times when, you know, I've had to stop for a bit because I've felt like actually, you know, I have got a quite obsessive personality, which yeah, is right. where a lot of these things come from. And if and there was a point when I was doing the stone clearing where I sort of felt I had to do it every day, even if I wasn't recording it and even if I was just walking the dog, which is sort of how it started. So it started not <laughs> as a podcast. And then I sort of thought, well, no, you know, I need to... You know, I don't. <laughs> I need to go and have a bit of time away from doing this because you know I'm sort of aping the the obsessions you get. So there's little things I have to do on every trip round the trip round the uh, field. Oh, really? And certain cans that need us. There's an alpha and omega can which starts. At, I have to put one on at the beginning and one at the end. I might have forgotten to do it today. Shit. Uh, and um, and there's a there's the ditch that stopped Brexit, which I I believed if I kept throwing a stone in every time I passed it that Brexit wouldn't happen. Um, and you know I'm still believing in it. I still have faith in it. Yeah. Is it funny that like you said like we're animals, but we also we also need some some form of order. Yeah, and, and you, and you a, start, you know. but and and these things, but human beings have observed the world. That this is what's happened throughout here. Once you sort of start to understand how religions work, and I've done a, done a few things in my life that are crazy stunts where you get upset. You know, I tried to spot all the number plates in numerical order from one to nine hundred ninety-nine when the when <laughs> when that was the system, or just after that was the system. And you start to believe that if you do certain things, the the, the car you need will appear, and that's it. You start to have these little. 
and that's how religion started up and that's how I, that's how science started up someone would do something and there would seemingly be a uh, reaction and uh, and then you would believe that the two things were connected the causality isn't it and uh, yeah. and sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't so you know sacrificing uh, someone on top of a hilltop to make the sunrise <laughs> seem to work or whatever you know or whatever <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then you think, oh, I better keep doing it because if I stop doing what if the sun doesn't rise? So, you know, it takes, uh, you know, it takes a long time for to work out what's true and what's not. And and, and I think those ideas of uh, supernatural ability and, you know, and the fact that something could be lucky and something could be unlucky are very hard to shift. And those are still, and maybe it's part of being human, you know, people yeah. gamble thinking that they have that there's a lucky number or there's a lucky system and, you know, they're gambling and stuff that's just chance and they believe yeah. that they have a system. Uh, so there's all these... We all have beliefs and we all believe... You know, democracy, which people would be prepared to fight and die for, isn't a real thing. It's an artificial yeah. <laughs> construct. <laughs> and yet people would be prepared to die for it and yet then it could disappear and something else would come along. And, you know, so it's... Um, there's no right and wrong uh, in a universal sense but that's not to say you shouldn't have a code by which you live yeah. your life. <laughs> but it's not but it's also not to say you know because in another time another place what you believe is that is 100% true some they would not believe at all so it's you know it's it it's sort of fascinating and interesting the way the human brain works and even someone who's you know I see myself as logical and um sort of against uh, superstition but I you know I do completely get sucked into all these things and mildly believe I have a ghost in my house, even though I, I'm absolutely certain there are no such thing as ghosts. I mean, um, I, I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly yeah. the same with superstition. Every time, this, this, every time I give somebody money in the, like if someone says, oh, I've got any change. And I've, I've said this to Jade, every time I give someone money, something shit happens to me. <laughs> And I don't, and I'm like and I'm, so I got to the point I'm like I can't I don't want to give people money anymore and I but I want to help and so like the, <laughs> one time I got my I'd given someone some money and then an yeah. hour later my phone got stolen from right. Uh, from right in front of my eyes it was right in front of me and another time I'd given money and someone knocked my phone out of my hand it went under the train at right. Upminster station the last time I got I I was in Pret. Uh, Tottenham Court Road and I came out and, I, and as I was coming out the guy behind the counter said oh do you want this and he gave me a hot baguette he went look we're just going to throw it away just have this oh no thanks very much and I came out and there was a guy sitting outside and I went mate do you want this you know there was a guy <laughs> sitting out and he went yeah and I and I walked away and in my head I went universe do your worst and <laughs> and then that was it that was in March that was in March and then the man had the bat in a market and I'm not saying the two things are connected <laughs> <laughs> but that's where it gets you. Yeah. So you start thinking, you know, there'll always be something bad that happens, especially if you're going to go worldwide, right? So, oh, I did that, and then, and then, and then Bobby Ball died. This is my fault. Um, so, you know, yeah. So it's if you're looking for things, you'll see, you know, you spot patterns, and and that's why we do need experts and we do need science because they they operate beyond that. So the idea of common sense is sort of nonsense. You know, there are things where this. It's obviously there's understanding life and getting through that, but things that seem like common sense, like leaving the EU, it seemed like common sense to people. Like mm. it, it doesn't always pl play out, you know, because you've, you're, you're using your own prejudice. I, I kind of like that idea that um, the uh, Seven Bridge, you know, you'd pay a toll to go across to Wales yeah. on the Seven Bridge if you're coming from England, but they've they've abolished it because actually, you common sense says, oh, that's a great way of making revenue, but it actually 
it actually has a negative impact on the economy as a result of that happening because obviously some people don't come through when they would mm. don't spend money so it's very hard unless you understand how economics actually functions to go, <laughs> oh this makes sense if this is happening then this means this you know so it's but it's that's the way the human brain works we're we're not meant to be looking on a universal you know we're not meant to be looking down on the planet and working out how things go or looking out into space and understanding what what a signal from a telescope <laughs> means but we can do it you know we're, we're we're so astonishing as a species like so astonishing what we've yeah. achieved and what we know and we don't know and you know a, a, even one percent of what's going on do we but we know so much more than any other creature on this planet would ever know yeah absolutely uh, and yet we're still you know we're still kind of chained to this uh, primitive human brain that had to survive, you know, in what must have been absolutely t- terrifying circumstances of, you know, being living on the African savanna, even, you know, and having. Mm. Uh, being attacked by wild creatures, of course you're going to go, there's a devil. You know, when you're around the campfire, and go, stay around the campfire because the devil's out there. And if you went out there, you'd be consumed by some kind of t- horrific beast that you wouldn't be able to, you know, you'd be in total darkness, uh, literally and, and figuratively. So it's So it's not surprising, like, religions came up and there was, goodies and baddies in the religion and it's not surprising people thought oh if we if we pray to god then our crop survives uh, as long as that works it works and if it doesn't work you you, you die out anyway so your religion doesn't survive <laughs> so it's a sort of self-fulfilling thing really religion but this yeah but yeah but it's but it's crazy it is it is a it is a form of mental illness but i mental illness but i'd also say that so is nearly everything we we yes. think so you know i think it's it's not i i and I think religion does do an awful lot of good as well, and that, that's oh for sure. That's, yeah, that's what, what and mo- most religious people are uh, fairly decent and nice. Yes. Yeah, and some of them aren't. So you know, there we go. <laughs> but it is that it's that there is a comfort in that. In, in, when I when I stopped, so, when it didn't make sense anymore, that to me anyway, that there was some kind of being looking out for us. Yeah, there was a sadness. I, I, I was like, oh. Since the, oh, that's a shame. It's yeah. like when you're a kid and you realise that magic isn't real, you know. Yeah, well, you yeah, want it's... things to be ordered and you want things to, you know, because it's more frightening. The reason conspiracy theories are working so, are spreading so and wor- and, and, and and bedding in is because it, the idea that stuff happens by accident yeah. <laughs> and that awful things can happen is too scary. So you want the idea of there being a god or a controlling force, or even if it's a cabal of paedophiles who are running the world in order to have sex with people in the basement of a pizza shop. Um, You know, it's reassuring to those people to think that that explains why the world works like it does, rather than going, oh, shit, yeah, actually, you know, we don't, we got... The people in charge just had no fucking idea what's going on either. So it's <laughs> people, you know, there's a there's a human thing where, you know, and this is why bad things can happen. You want to be controlled and you want to believe. And if the right person comes along and even the wrong person comes along, then, you know, you 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 can get behind them. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating and terrifying. And I don't think there's much we can do to really change it. I don't think I don't you know, I think it's it it sort of feels like. All these, you know, you know, hundreds of years of, or sort of five hundred years of enlightenment, and moving forward and forward, and yet we're still basically living in the kind of, you know, witch burning era in some people's minds. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's. uh, I don't know whether that will ever really change because I don't know. We can't. I don't think we can rewire our brains to, 
to get away from it enough or or enough of our brains and yeah and like even if you and i are still making those links between things that aren't linked then uh, if we've thought about it and they're still doing it then what hope for us <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's it i mean we've still got that that mob mentality i mean when you come to something like twitter and yeah. now there's that there's that need to pile on and 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 be and instead of a sort of rational conversation, it's all like ah oh, they've said this, yeah. then we must yeah. all we must destroy them. So we've still got it in that. But you know, I suppose it's a, but it goes that sort of I think goes back to um, you know we need to be in gangs and we need to be in groups that protect each other. And so you know if someone is is being heretical from the group think. Then they need to be expelled because they could actually destroy the they could actually destroy the fabric of the of the tribe, you know. So if someone's coming, you go, no, there isn't a god, and this what you're doing makes no difference. That's a, that creates enough of a crack to drive apart the tribe, and so I think there's there's just something in us that want, you know, it's uh, horrific, I think, and people who think they're good people doing the piling on, and I'm sure you know we're we're all guilty of it to some extent. Yeah, uh, not you know not being able to understand or forgive or even look into the facts of stuff before yeah. you know and i've certainly been the, i've certainly been the target of a, target of it on occasion and it's mm. it's very it's very unsettling and it's amazing how quickly um the thing you said gets left behind and and that then there's this whole new bolted on load of extra stuff that gets <laughs> that gets added to it that you never said or never thought you know people assume if you say one thing you must think this and then yes. that means you did do that and then suddenly, you know, and so you, I, and like, there's things I tweeted, you know, ni- nice things I tweeted that you would, you wouldn't think would ever uh, lead to people hating you for months and years and years, and just very benign things. And yet they still, every now and again, they still come back, and people, you know, and I've said plenty of terrible, awful things I perhaps deserve to be castigated yeah. for, <laughs> but it's nearly always the, the nice things. And we're going, oh, that Richard Herring thinks, yeah. thinks this. And you go because I what because I said we should call people whatever they want to be called. Yes, <laughs> you hunt people. <laughs> well, I just thought that was a nice thing to say. Um, you know, you you would be you'd be amazed. So yeah, it's it's nuts, and it's it, it, that mob mentality is, um, yeah, is uh, sort of unbelievable, and it's unbelievable. But it and it's unbelievable when it comes from. There's a group, you know, there'll be a group of people. I mean, what's everything's going on? So it's the, the, these basically two tribes to every argument now, and and neither tribe realizes they're acting exactly like the other tribe. In, yeah, exactly. In yeah, and then they're pushing each other to to extremes. I suppose I don't know. I mean, it's not one hundred percent true. I would say that again. You know, the 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 polar opposites in what's well, I would say that because I'm on this side, but the polar opposites <laughs> in the presidential thing that's happening at the moment, I think, are not uh, are not equally they're not equally shared. But well, but. There you go. I, I I guess that's might be my own prejudice, I suppose. But there we yeah, go. but it's the and it's it, look, going back to what you were saying about um about the fact that we exist is pure chance, really. Yeah, and that should be we should be we should be walking around every day going fucking hell, we're fucking hell. <laughs> this yeah, is- well, but life is you know like that that life whatever life you're leading pretty much on the planet of now as a human being is sort of so more amazing than any other creature would ever hope to have. And, and life is funny and life, there's, there's, there's beauty in it. Uh, And I guess, I don't know. I think there are people who take life too seriously. It's sort of a, you know, we're the humanity is a sort of joke. It's a, it's a cosmic joke. We shouldn't be here. We, this isn't what, you know, nothing's meant to happen, but this this is just this little offshoot of of nuttiness that we become consciousness, have consciousness, and 
and the ability to think the way we think. And it should be just, we should be laughing the whole time yeah. at, <laughs> at, at the situation we find ourselves in. And yeah, the luck of being, you know, I always go on about this in my in my sets, but the luck of even from, you know, your parents having sex at the right time and your sperm getting through. Yeah. The chances of that are so infinitesimally small already <laughs> that it's the exact right moment, the exact right time, everything, and it all worked out and everything happened. And the, But then that your parents met and they decided to have children together or that managed to have children together and that their parents met and their parents met and each time multiplying, multiplying. So the idea of, you know, any of us as individuals being here is sort of impossible. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's as, it's as unlikely as to be just impossible. It makes me think maybe we're just characters in a computer game, but that's another, that's another, <laughs> which would be nice. Again, that takes the pressure off, doesn't it, if we're just being controlled. Yeah. It would explain a lot. It would explain why when you do something nice, something bad happens, Rich, wouldn't it? Exactly, it's yeah. A, it's a teenager making it happen, going, oh, he's done something nice, let's punish him. <laughs> He needs to learn about life, this one. He needs to learn. <laughs> Maybe that's it. We're just a giant game of Sims. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, it could be. It says apparently it's more likely than not. But I think that where the where people's mental illnesses stem from is the, is the, like we, we talked about the, the human things that are put onto life. So, yeah. so that, you know, people stress about money and money is this, you know, I know I suffer with that. I'm like, oh god, I haven't got any money. Oh shit! Now what am I going to do? And it becomes I get caught up in that stuff. Yeah. And you're like, God, if we just went back to bartering like we used to, <laughs> if I could have a skill and just went, look, I'll do this for you if if I can have a chicken. <laughs> you know, it just seems a bit more simple. But- it does, but it would be so inconvenient. I mean, the thing with money is, it's it is it's ter- again it, it's become extreme and terrible. And the idea of one person owning you know, half the money in the world or whatever yeah. it is, uh, is is insane. But also the idea of going, rather than me having to find someone who can do that thing for you so that you could do that thing for me and the chain of people you'd have to do, <laughs> here's a little a piece of paper or a coin or an imaginary, you know, money's imaginary. If we do, if we, if we just said, I'm not going to do it anymore, it wouldn't exist. It's just because everyone buys in. It's another sort of, we have faith in it. We believe in it and we believe it's a thing, but money isn't a thing. If you just, if everyone just said, nah, we're not doing that anymore. It would suddenly, everything would disappear. Well, that's, that's, what's, that's what, that's what's crazy. But it's, but at the essence of it, it's a very good system. And if someone works a bit harder than someone else, isn't that fair they get a little bit more money yeah it yeah, is but yeah, then yeah. but then it's sort of oh but if someone manages to help someone else make more money shouldn't they get it oh yeah and if they can take that money into so you know it, it sort of spirals out into nonsense again because it's not it's an artifice it's not a real thing and if you if you uh you know if you, you can find ways to exploit it and i guess humanity and probably all animal life you're trying However giving and nice you think you are, you're looking after yourself and you're trying to find your own, give yourself a little edge. You're giving yourself a little edge. That makes sense in an evolutionary sense that you're, if you give yourself a little edge, if you've got more resources, mm. you've got a better chance of passing on your genes to the next generation. It's, it's sort of simple as that. And we're all going to give ourselves, you know, and, and then that edge is always going to move up and move up and move up and move up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you, everyone, but whatever, if you've got money, I've certainly had times when I've had no money and I know exactly what you're talking about. I know the jealousy of looking at people who have got money. And, you know, I remember being, yeah. moving to London and driving around, you know, being, not even, being on the bus going up up uh, 
sort of Chelsea and Fulham and just so angry that people were spending thousands of pounds on a table, you know, and I couldn't afford to eat anything more than baked potatoes. You go, why? That's so unfair. Uh, but then obviously as as your life progresses and you get a few more things, you're going, oh, well, no, there's, there's always someone above you you can look at and go, oh, that no, that's unfair that they've got billions of pounds uh, to buy thousands of pounds. So it's, yeah, it's uh, it does create... Yeah, it creates so many problems, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't see there's another way around it. I, I don't think there's any way of. Uh, I mean, it prob- the irony is it probably money will probably destroy us. It'll probably be the thing that destroys us. It's, uh, yeah, because because the you know the impetus to make money in the short term, but this is a human thing again. It's the 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 ability to think in the long term is something that most people aren't blessed with, and most people, if they if I said to you, I'll give you a hundred thousand pounds now, uh, but it <laughs> means that in forty years time. Uh, people might not be able to live uh, in certain areas of the planet. Most people go, well, no, no, I'll take the hundred thousand pounds. Yeah. You know, these, these big, yeah. <laughs> you know, they might not be. It might might not happen. And so you believe what you want to believe as well, and that's why. So that's with COVID, with all this stuff. People are believing what they want to believe because they don't want to have to stay inside and and no. they don't want to have to wear masks. So they start to believe that that's not necessary because it's inconvenient to their lives. <laughs> it's, it's understandable that they would do that, but it's also crazy because. You know, you just have to look at the... And unless you start just believing that all things that are fed to you are lies, and then that's another form of craziness. The, the, yeah. It's, you know, the the it, what I love about the sort of conspiracy theory mentality is, is people are so worried about being proved to be gullible that they won't believe anything, which is the same as being gullible. So the <laughs> gullible is not is believing everything and not believing anything is the same because you you don't have the facility to be able to work out what's real and what's not and that's what's that's what's that when you're not gullible that's you could go okay I know that this guy's on the level and I think this guy might not be on the level you can never be hundred percent sure but you get an idea of who who you can trust and who you can't trust if you're just trusting nothing. <laughs> Then you're just the same as someone who's trusting everything because you you you're not able to make the decision in the middle of oh this I you know there's enough evidence here to say that this is the case and if you're going to live your life thinking everything is some sort of uh, con and every you know and you're being and there's these faceless lizard figures who are oh, controlling yeah. <laughs> our lives then you know you're 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 not going to get anywhere really because it's you know, even if you're right what's the use in it i mean that's, yeah because yeah. if you're right why the hell have these lizard people allowed this information to get out and why aren't they stamping down on all the people who are revealing it if they're that powerful uh, they're just oh no let them carry on let them carry on with it it's, uh, you know so you know it's it it's not even having the ability to sort of understand you know to to work out beyond beyond you know the, the the logic behind what they're saying you know and it's yeah i love the one about paul you know that paul mccartney's replaced in 1965 oh, amazing. he has a car he has a car people genuinely believe if you look on the internet people genuinely believe it and the chances of finding someone who looks enough like paul mccartney who can play the instruments and be in the band and then start composing songs that are better <laughs> than paul mccartney was doing in the early 60s i mean they really struck the, gold and all, all that happens and no one else jane asher doesn't go oh do i have to go out this isn't the same bloke that I was going out with. Uh, no, you have Shut to put your hat on. No, yeah. no, no, none of the people who found the accent went, oh, should we, the, one of the Beatles is dead. Yeah, just, uh, we'll keep it quiet. Here's a hundred quid. We'll keep that quiet for 60 years, 50 years. It'll be for 60 years. Um, 
So, you know, it's, it's not having the logical ability to think what would it mean to fake the moon landing? What would it mean for 9-11 to be a conspiracy? You know, how many people would have to be involved and, and, and how yeah. good are people at keeping things secret? And they're really not good. When you think about, I think that someone worked out the moon landing would take like a quarter of a million people in on the conspiracy. Wow. That I, can't remember. I can't remember what the figure is, but it's something insane. But, you know, the idea that a quarter of a million people in all those years, no one would go, actually, I can, I've <laughs> yeah, got some yeah, proof yeah. for you. Give me a million dollars. And, you know, no one's going to do that because, of course, they would. And it would be out the next day. Some <laughs> bloke would be in the bar going, yeah, I faked the moon landing. I think it was me. I did it. Yeah. Walking around so. with his tinfoil hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was me. Uh, but I, I, what, having watched it, is, I, could, I was watching the... the um, they, it was at the cinema, uh, sort of, uh, not last year before. It, the Apollo, the, the the moon landing, and the, and the thing, and the, and I was looking. And you're looking at the at the craft that was landing on the moon, and you go, I can see why they think this is faked, because <laughs> that looks fucked. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can understand why yeah. why they would think it is, but you know, and it, you know, and and it's not inconceivable. I mean, things that are, that's the problem. Obviously things, there are lies and there are, there are conspiracies. We met I mean, some of them we found out about and some of them we don't know about. Yeah. Um, things definitely are, you know, there are, that, and that's the problem. If nothing was ever faked or nothing was ever a lie, then it would be easy, wouldn't it? But, <laughs> but it's just working out the likelihood of, uh, you know, of all this, you know, the, the flat people believe in the earth's flat. Yes. Now, you know, and that becoming a thing again is absolutely insane. You can just look at the horizon and see it's not flat. Yeah, well, that uh, goes but, back, like you said, it's the tribal thing, isn't it? They yeah, get, yeah. they find other like-minded people and then they get a bit of attention and then they get a bit, they go, oh, we, now they're part of something. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's interesting, but it's fat, but I've always been fascinated by it. A lot of my comedy is driven by it. A lot of our comedy, the stuff I was doing Stuart Lee in the, in the 90s, we were both kind of obsessed with people who were obsessed with stuff. So a lot of our stuff was people pretending to be things or like that we had a hobby guy who was just so obsessive about hobbies that he uh, <laughs> that he sort of didn't see the damage they were causing outside, which is possibly what I've become in reality. Uh, you know, there's people, a man pretending to be Rod Hull because he wants jelly and he's worked out that's a way of getting jelly. You think it's sort of, you know, people, uh, you know, keeping up subterfuge in order to... To carry on with stuff, but but yeah, that obsession we all, we we just loved those sort of fanzines you'd find. It was just before the internet, and now I suppose the the internet has really brought it into sharp focus. That there's that the way people latch onto something, you know, and conspiracy theorists and that sort of thing. It used to be a laughable minority of people that you you know you could go, oh, this is funny, and now it's sort of drifting into the mainstream. In the same way, I think what we we're talking about before that you know people. Mary Whitehouse and all the people trying to stop rude stuff on TV were a kind of minority group of what looked like loons yeah. right into the BBC and Green Inc. And now we're sort of, people are doing <laughs> that job for them. I mean, if Mary Whitehouse was alive now, she would not believe this army of people who are there to jump in and complain about something that they haven't even seen, that they haven't, you know, before it's even come out, that <laughs> people yeah. offended by something. And, <laughs> and you know, it's it's sort of, in, the, in, the internet has brought that in that part of humanity into sharp focus and you know and made it very you know i think we will get through it as a species and i think we will adapt and but it's ha all that stuff's happened so fast and of course all the all the kind of mental issues that it leads to because i think i suppose for me 
as growing up, it, the idea of, you know, popularity and cliques and who was friends with who, that was hard enough growing up without the internet and and, yeah. and, and the confusion over how some people are, are popular and others aren't and what makes someone likeable and what makes, you know, you think you're being nice and yet someone else who's a bit of a dick is more popular <laughs> because they're <laughs> funny or whatever. Uh, and that, that was, you know, I still find that confusing. Uh, but then with the internet and it's all, you know, under sharp focus and people are, feel comfortable um, just telling you directly what they think and even I think sometimes what they don't think, you know, people can be just outright rude to you. Um, and you know we have to find ways to deal with that personally. I think also in ways of of cope of making it a coping thing. Because I yeah, I'm terrified for my kids having to grow up in a world where their you know their optimism and their belief in themselves is going to be smashed. Yeah, down. yeah. But that, you know that's what life does. It it's not the internet. It's it's us and people and competition and jealousies and all that sort of thing that make it happen but uh but it's human emotions but i suppose the internet makes it in a sharper focus but yeah. uh i don't know again as a comedian i think i've on the whole i'm sort of fairly impervious to all that stuff now yeah um not entirely but it's occasionally <laughs> something surprises me and gets to me i usually find you know you i find it funny i find twitter i find being criticized by people in on youtube or twitter quite amusing and i you know i like either responding or just uh, what i love on youtube is just that you can block someone straight away and delete their comment and it drives them nuts <laughs> <laughs> and they go you can't how dare you you know that's the worst thing to delete someone's comment delete <laughs> and yeah. then they go away because there's no you know so you when you're in when you're in total autonomous control of something it's brilliant because you absolutely decide what goes into it and what goes out of it and that's why i love youtube because occasionally some <laughs> men's right activists who've misunderstood what i'm doing on um <laughs> march oh, yeah. the 8th or whatever will get will get in a little gang and you and, and attack you and yeah, you know, and to be fair, sometimes it's feminists, and sometimes it's you know it's all I, I get it from all directions, which uh, which is kind of interesting. But but yeah. at the moment it's mainly that. But you know, they'll, I remember one day was I think it was like I'm not quite sure which it was. I think it was there was a lot of people commenting on Sophie Duca's uh, Rahela Stupa, uh because she'd just done the kill Whitey thing on oh, the yes. Frankie Boyle show. But it was a lot of just basic racist stuff coming through, yeah. and you know, and I was. I think I replied to one of them and said, oh, it's interesting. You know, people, there's a certain type of person who comments on on women being on my show and black people being on my show right. and never comment on anyone else in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> and so you can sort of go, oh, I wonder why you never say men are confident, you know, or yes. you know, there's a, I've, got, I've had a lot of very confident men on this. Show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you'd say that. Uh, and then and I remember one of them said, right, you're in trouble now, honestly. Oh, yeah. And then... And then <laughs> See you rolling his sleeves up. And then, <laughs> and then for the next half an hour... About 10 people commented and they all had very similar sort of names. And I'm sure, maybe, maybe let's say it was 20 people were commenting and I just blocked them immediately. And it lasted 25 minutes. And I'm pretty sure it was at most 20 people. But I think 10 of those people were the same people because they had a similar way of writing their, <laughs> writing, of creating their username. Was, was the, they used the same sort of glitch to make it happen. <laughs> uh, so either they were very close friends or, you know, but you sort of think, that's it. It's, you know, you think... And if you were sitting at home you, uh, and you weren't aware, they'd go, oh, my God, I'm really being attacked. There's a big mob of people out there who don't agree with me about this uh, thing, you know. And actually it's five or six people who are, yeah. are, are, are tweeting a lot or not always, I have to say. But I think when you realise that, you kind of go, well, this is nothing. And when you, and, 
and you know, and, and you just take the power of it and, and and let it go, you know. And I think with Twitter, I just in the end, sometimes it would just, I would, it would, I would just get too obsessive about responding to people, and so more, and 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 it would sort of start to depress me after a while sometimes. Um, and then I just started muting people uh, after this thing where I said, you know, call people. Isn't it just polite to call people by what you they ask yes. you to call them, right? Which is just about anything, about anybody. So if a doctor said, my name's Dr. Herring, you wouldn't go, I'm not going to call you that. Yeah. You would say, okay, I respect you enough to do If that's what you want to be called. Uh, Hi, it's Rich. No, I prefer to be called Mr. Herring. I'm going to keep calling you Rich. No, I want you to call me Mr. You know, so you might think, oh, they're a dick for wanting to insist on that. But you would do it. You would call them by their name, yeah. right? So that's that was the absolute... And, and there was a, getting a lot of stuff, and it was really weird and really aggressive and, and trying to you know, find moments of hypocrisy in my life or find old routines and taking stuff out of context. Uh, and then I just decided to mute the people who were doing it. And the problem went away within about a day. It was insane. It felt like <laughs> it felt like overwhelming. And then I muted and not that many people, I would say 30 people. And then suddenly the whole thing went away. And then since then, it hardly ever happens. If it does, I just mute the next person who comes along. And then Brilliant. it's gone. And it's sort of, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, when I talked to someone else who'd had the exact same group of people after me, he said, yeah, just mute them and, and it goes away. And there's no, there's no point in responding because they don't nah. listen to you. And they just take everything you respond as being, um, you know, as, as being a further evidence or they find a way of twisting it and decide you're yeah. responding to a certain group of people and not to other groups of people. <laughs> it's just a, a group of people who are obsessive about something, uh, usually, and uh, and won't, are never going to change their minds. No, uh, there's, not there's, ever. Cer there's certainly nothing you can do in a tweet that's going to change their minds. So you might as well just ignore And they're not going to change my mind. So there's, you, you might as well just ignore each other. And what they want is the is the response. And so I think what that really helped me, and that's really helped me get through um, social media. But I, you know, I think I'm unusual because I'm happy to, you know, I don't, I don't really, I kind of almost quite like it if people don't like my stuff. You know, right. and, a, and a tweeting, and I, and I, you know, I ser I've searched, for, I've searched my own name quite a lot on things like Twitter, um, and like people say that's vanity searching, and it really is not because if if you're mm. vain, you would never search for that stuff because you get to you get to see what people are really saying, yeah. and as long as you don't wait it the other way, you're gonna go, oh no, everyone hates me. Is <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're not going when you're just getting the tweets from people like you, oh, everyone loves me. You've got to get a balance, but you know, again, yeah. as a comedian. Or a human being, if everybody liked you, you wouldn't be that great a a comedian. You know what I mean? You wouldn't be that great a human being. You've got to rub people up the wrong way in order to do this job. But I think also if you're living your life in any kind of um, meaningful way, you've got, there's going to be people who don't agree with what you think. Yeah, so if you have absolutely. beliefs... You can't possibly get every, you know, I can't get a Trump supporter and uh, Jer Jeremy Corbyn supporter and say, you two guys are going to be best friends. <laughs> you know, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to have both of you loving me. <laughs> you know, maybe if they go a bit further in the opposite direction, they'll meet up. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you're not going to get them together. So, you know, you've just got to accept that not everyone likes you. And as a comedian, yeah. I think that's, there's no... I, you know, aside from Eric Morecambe, and I still see people saying they don't like Eric Morecambe. Wow. I can't really think of anyone who massively unites people and often the people who are, have broader appeal really fuck people off right you know, so it's you know Mrs Brown's Boys is a very yeah, popular true, show but you'd true. never see more vile against Mrs Brown's Boys <laughs> or Peter Kay you know they're very yeah. popular performers but people still hate them and you can't you can't let that get you 
Uh, and also, you know, we're again. I think if you're an intelligent comedian or an intelligent person, you've thought about stuff more. And you're the stuff that I criticise myself with is worse than anything. So you know, so I think it's. It, but I think that social media thing is very difficult. And if you're, if you're, and again, I think if I'd been a teenager when that was coming out, it would have. I was very sensitive, and uh, you know, and very very concerned about people you know so concerned about people liking to the extent that i think you'd put people off liking you because you were too mm. insecure you know it wasn't certainly in terms of having a partner or you know a girlfriend it yes. wasn't good because i was too needy and i was too insecure and who'd want to hang around with that nobody as it turned out for <laughs> for a long time <laughs> so um so you know i think having to deal with that through your teenagers is is really Really, really worrying. But then all the things that kids have to deal with, you know, on the internet is is worrying. But like, I suppose we're already through to the generations that have, you know, the, I guess the first generation of kids who've been through that are probably in their forties now. Maybe are they? I don't know. Yeah. Yes. You know. So it's it, it. We we will survive it and we'll get through it. But it's, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's the thing when you because when you when you were doing the stuff with uh, with Stuart and it. You know, you didn't have the internet then. You just no. You well, just were... it was just starting up. But so we were yeah. in the mid nineties. We had a website and an email, um, but you know, it wasn't. There was no nastiness in that in that way. I think I remember the the first sort of critical comedy forums. The kind of nasty ones started up sort of just after we'd finished Lee and Herring, I'd say, and they were mm. kind of you know you'd see quite nasty, snarky stuff from people who used to love you you know which again is the normal thing with comedy and i was the same as a comedy fan you know you, you feel uh someone hasn't gone in the direction you wanted them to go in or just yeah. you you move on yourself uh to something else and you think it's the fault of the person you know you blame the thing you liked for you liking them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's and i've absolutely experienced that you know i guess like we're even somewhere like rick mail who i love lo was absolutely my comedy hero mm. i went through a big period of thinking oh but you know his, his stuff's not the same as the young it's not as good as the young ones uh you know and i regret it because he was trying different things out and he was yeah. he was making his own choices and he was a fucking genius i did come back to thinking that but you know all those years of 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 you know, you'd, I didn't turn against him. I would still no. have said I was a fan of his, but I would have been more critical of his stuff, for example. And then you kind of go, yeah, but you know, look how good he was. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. not not everything's for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's allowed to exactly. do other stuff. It's for it's his decision. <laughs> and how did you find it when when Leon Herring came to an end? Uh, how did you find that? Because you you know, because it was massive. And well, then, it was sort of yeah. wasn't. It wasn't. You know, I, there was a lot to cope. There was a lot to unpack and a lot to cope with. And I, and looking back at it, it was a very stressful time. There was a sort of air of relief to it. We, it was, it was. You know, we we didn't really break through in a way that like a lot of the people we work with broke through. And you know, we it didn't. We were a very cult thing. And what's lovely mm. in in hindsight, and and for me now, is that the people who loved it have stayed pretty loyal to it and also a lot of them have become comedians uh, and um you know so i think it was a, it was a it was a comedian's comedian kind of thing and i think a lot of the youngsters watching it it inspired them and you know and and spoke to them and then they wanted to do comedy which yeah. is good because it sort of means that the comedy i do still fits into the modern world a bit more because the stuff as a group that all those people in the 90s were doing has has certainly you know been an inspiration on the next generation or two yeah. um 
It was, you know, it was just, I think I found it, we work so hard, and I especially work so hard, and it's very difficult <laughs> being in a relationship with anyone. Yeah. Like, So it was an unbalanced relationship. I did more, more of the writing. Right, okay. Stu was always pushing to do his own thing and was more successful on his own. And I, I wanted to do stuff of my own eventually, but I kind of saw that I thought the double act was probably... You know, I thought we were better together as a double act, mm. but it was it was a stress. You know, he he's uh, you you know you you see what he's like as a human yeah. being, and uh, he was <laughs> he was very sure of himself. And I I look back at it and I feel like it was yeah you know, because I was again I was um, it was partly due to me, and I'm not saying that bullying is the fault of the, the person who's bullied but i think my my lack of self-belief i've sort of lost my my self-belief a bit through all the stuff i did uh in the sort of late 80s and going to edinburgh and being sort of pulled apart as being the student comedy stuff because i was more successful at, i was sort of the performer at university and then we went to edinburgh fringes and, and we sort of got heckled by all the stand-up comedians and so i had a very strange relationship with stand-up yeah um and stuart didn't go through all that and went did very well with stand up. So that was an immediately sort of driving us apart because he wanted to do stand up and I wanted to do sketch comedy and we yeah. sort of combined it in what we were doing. But it was it was always pulling in different directions and and again I think that's what makes it successful. I think you need that grit in the oyster to make the pearl and I think that yes. our opposing personalities made that work. But when we started, I was the high I was the high status one and he was a lower status one and we sort of switched at some point. Right, um, but right. I but I think it sort of transferred into real life a bit too much. So <laughs> it was sort of a relief that it was over because he was very critical and he was very you know, he was very sure we sort of had the same sense of humour and the same sensibilities and that's why it worked and the same uh sort of idea of what is good and bad comedy. But it was, you know, he would never because he'd done better as a stand up when we did double act stuff, he would we'd come off stage and he would always tell me I was what I'd done wrong and never say what I'd done right. You know, it was right, the, even when you right. had a good gig, he would find it's very like being married. This is what my wife is like now. Uh, <laughs> whatever you've done, my wife manages to find the one thing that hasn't. <laughs> when she comes down, when I've let her rely in the morning, she comes downstairs and I've, I've played a blind and she'll spot that. Oh, what's all these things out of this cupboard? I um, think, yeah, I think it got to a point like that with Jade and I where Jade would do these great things, but I was always moaning about the other shit and it's yeah, like, yeah. she's like, well, I did this. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't do that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but this happened. <laughs> and again, it's human, it's normal. And so like, it's, you know, it's being a double act is like being in a marriage without having sex with each other very often. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit like being in a marriage. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and it's difficult. We were young and I think it was, you know, Stu doesn't have any brothers or sisters. And I think he, right. I think that, you know, and I do have brothers and sisters and I, they were older than me. And so I think I understood a bit more about that, about the sort of give and take of a, a relationship than than he did. But, mm, you know, we yeah. were very young and it was really hard and we were in each other's pockets for 10 years. So when it ended, it was sort of good for us both to sort of be able to have a bit of time away and then actually all the time away. He ended, I, I, I ended, we ended up employing him on Time Gentleman, please, was the next thing we did. So he was still, we were still sort of around each other, but it yeah. wasn't 24-7. We became a lot better friends, certainly in the short term, as a result of not having to be together all the time yeah um and i think you know the things that made the double act work were made it hard to be you know because i think you do so you do start you start playing it in real life a bit i guess and so it just it just i think it was a relief to that it was had finished really i would like to have done a bit more but i also think um it's kind of good we didn't i think we might have been at the point 
it was all just due to ma- managerial changes, really, why it stopped. Right, um, okay. And I think if we'd done another series of the thing, the, sun, the Sunday morning show mm. that we were doing, I think it might have taken off. You know, Little Britain sort of took off just after that. Yeah. But I sort of think if Little Brit- if we'd taken off like Little Britain, I think it would probably have destroyed us both at that stage. So I, don't, I think I wouldn't have been able to cope for different ways than Stu wouldn't have been able to cope. And I think it was actually really good for both of us to have sort of time in the wilderness to think about what we're going to do. But it was very difficult for me because... I'd sort of invested everything in the double act. My character in the double act wasn't really me. It was sort right. of a little bit like the sort of teenage me, but we were, I was playing a character that worked in the double act that I didn't think would work not in the double act, whereas Stu's character in the double act was sort of what he was doing as a stand-up. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so Stu was, you know, was away and running, and I had to work out what yeah, I was going to do. And I didn't really want to be a stand-up, and I didn't... Oh, really? Um, I'd sort of had such a horrible time doing stand-up and been treated so badly, you know in that fringe by stand-ups mm. and I understand why but um you know they were taking out grievances based on history on actual people who had nothing to do with it and oh, that wow. was from you know I was in sort of the Oxford Review and stuff and they, that that we just got a point where I mean the Oxford Review was such a meaningless thing by the time I was doing it um comparatively I think like mm. you know Rowan Atkinson had been the last person who'd come out of the Oxford Review um but uh, all the stand-ups basically you know that we became a focus of their of their in indignation of the unfairness ah. of the system that promoted Oxbridge comedians, um, which I have some sympathy with, but but also you know uh, it doesn't didn't seem fair to pick on some children. When you're grown up, so I had a very difficult relationship with all that. So it was very difficult for me to come back to stand up, and I, that was when I mean I I did I suppose after Time Gentleman Please because I, I sort of came out of Lee and Herring and then just wrote for Al Murray for two years, but so intensively, okay? Like, mm. I did, I wrote an American-style sitcom on my own, basically. So we did 22 right. episodes in the first series. Wow. And I wrote, you know, 90% of it uh, and was writing an episode a week because we got given extra shows and literally on my own because Al was rehearsing the last one and I'd just go away and write the next one. It was very, very intense. Great, because I earned... I had like a lot of money, mm. but terrible for my mental state. Yeah. <laughs> and when that ended, so that when that ended, it was more. And then there was nothing else, and um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. Exactly, I was doing. I was back sort of doing one man shows and stuff. So there was. It yeah. was like wasn't like there was nothing going on. But I had time to pause, and I thought, well, why am I working so hard when you know I did Fist of Fun and this one of it not Judy and no you know no critical acclaim. Right, I know that people liked it, but we were never up for awards. We never. The first thing we did on the hour became this massive hit you know that spawned alan partridge and all this other stuff so we had this amazing start to us to our careers but then we we fell out and over the rights and didn't end up doing the tv version of that so Uh you kind of and you could see all of those people flying off into new directions the league of gentlemen guys were sort of getting big um and you know you sort of go okay where is this gonna you know is this is it over but also why did i you know i gave up all my 20s and the start of my 30s just working, right? And I didn't, I sort of didn't have much of a social life beyond going to Edinburgh and getting drunk and hoping to meet girls. <laughs> while yeah. drunk, you know, there was, I had no money all that time. So until Time Gentleman Please, I didn't, I never had any money. And then Time Gentleman Please, suddenly I had some money, you know, I had a yeah. bit of security. And so you go, well, why was I working to this Time Gentleman Please, which I worked really hard. And again, no one really, I mean, again, people have stayed very uh, loyal to it, the people who did see it, but. Uh, you know, it didn't get. I'm not sure it even got reviewed, really, but it certainly right. didn't didn't get any uptake in, in those tents. And it was on Sky, so you know, lots of people weren't seeing it. Um, and you kind of, so I went through a real 
a depression then, I think. Yeah. Where I, you know, I was just, and I bought a, I'd bought a house to live in with my, I'd, I'd met someone and, and it, was, it was after talking cocks. So I was doing stand-up shows, um, but one man show. So I didn't really see myself as a stand-up and I bought a house to move into with my girlfriend and her son. And then we broke up and I ended up living in this, you know, a, a weird, you know, this is where, you know, when you're when you're looking at having no money and going oh i wish i had money and then having money and then living in a family house on my own i mean uh not a terrible problem in the sense of i own a house or you know yeah. i own i'm paying a mortgage but i have i own property so that's nice but it, it kind of accentuated the loneliness right of i'd yes. moved from i'd moved across town so i didn't even have the network i'd had in south london i was in uh, shepherd's bush now and i was in uh, you know and i was thinking is that it? Is that the end of my career? Is it over? Um, and uh, and also not what... And actually, people were asking me to write scripts and I had commissions to write scripts and I was finding it really difficult to write. I was meant to be writing a book of Talking Cock and I did write it in the end, but, it, but after passing about two or three deadlines, I found it really hard. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and just... And I just look back at my life actually now and think I was just drunk all the time, <laughs> you know, not in the day, but like all the, I would go and get drunk every night uh, or stay in and be miserable. I don't think I drank like on my own, no. uh, but, uh, but you know, I was, I was lonely and really didn't know where I was going with stuff. And uh, yeah. And it felt like at that point, more than when Lee and Herring finished at that point, it felt like, Oh, maybe, you know, maybe it's sort of over. Maybe I'm not going to be able to carry on with uh, with this career. And, you know, and it's such... And I think that's what's... You know, it's difficult. And we were never so up that it was like, oh, we were up and now we're down. It was, you know, we always felt like we were in the middle and yeah. the, it's the, 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 the graph has gone a bit lower and a bit higher at times. I've never felt like I've had a massive success, but equally I've always worked. So even during this time I was, I was still getting enough work and luckily... Time, Gentlemen, Please was one of those shows that did get repeated for a bit. So I, every time it, I felt like actually I'm going to be in financial trouble here, trying to pay my mortgage. Suddenly, a, you know, a lump of money would arrive from something Brilliant. that I'd Brilliant. already been paid for and, and saved me. And Talking Cock as well got sort of sold all over the all over Europe. And and occasionally one of those would do well, and you'd get a you'd be being paid a few grand a month for a man in France doing your show. You know, and that was. <laughs> good but also but you know yeah. but i also made me think yeah but you know if i'd if i'd if we'd got a percentage of alan partridge or if i'd ended up writing alan partridge and that kind of money was coming in all the time and it would have been for 20 or 30 years you know we could easily have ended up with one percent of alan partridge and possibly should have ended up with one percent of alan partridge <laughs> but you know would you have ever done anything because i actually had money and i thought well i'm not going to work as hard because i've got I'm, I'm financially secure uh and um you know no one gives a fuck so i was yeah. depressed and you know and i'd been broken up with someone as well so i was depressed about that uh and yeah you know and i was drinking and whoring about a bit you know and uh <laughs> when i could and then you know being depressed when i could yeah. <laughs> so, so it was i think that was probably the hardest time to go through but i don't think it was really i think if anything lee and herring stopping was probably more of a relief yeah. Um and just and then just being able to work on my own or work with people who, you know, were more appreciative of, of the work <laughs> I was putting in <laughs> and and what I was doing, you know. So it was but I you know, so I think all that stuff that happened before, I think all the that's probably the stuff I would have to deal with is the is the is sort of going to Edinburgh and being heckled by looking into an audience and, and uh, late and live and seeing all the people I 
respected sort of hating me for you know for no reason I hadn't, yeah. even, hadn't even listened to it and that was a very difficult thing to overcome which you know I then into you know and after a period I sort of thought, I, I thought right I'm going to go back and I'm going to do stand up again and that was that was the first decision that it was a massive thing to do for me because I really hated it the first time um and I didn't think I could work on my own. You know, I thought I was going to mm. be a team player with other people. I thought that was that was my thing. Uh, even though I'd done two one-man shows, I still didn't think <laughs> I was a stand-up. Uh, and, uh, and that was the first big thing that kind of set me back on course. But even that was 2004. There was another six years before. I, I think podcasting... I, met, I started podcasting and I met and I started dating my wife uh, in the same month in January uh, 2008. So uh, 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, both of those decisions and those things <laughs> happening were the things that I think moved me on towards the possibility of sort of happiness and more stability. And the, and for me, it, I think it was realising that I could have all the... I just got so depressed in that period before in mm. terms of writing stuff that I knew was OK or that would be OK and having to go through all the processes of um, all the get through all the gatekeepers and all the people who didn't understand why my idea was good or didn't understand that a lot of the work I do comes a bit later on, right? So I'd given pilot mm. scripts that were good, but I knew would be loads better once I'd yeah. gone through them with a with a cast, which is what I did with Time Gentleman Please. You know, I could do that in a week. I could turn something around in a week from nothing uh, to being a bad script that I then listened to be read out and then changed over the weekend. So I knew I could do it but and and you know even it was even if you honed in it was a good script you were relying on someone reading it in the right way and understanding mm. how the humor of it worked which is not a given so it was very depressing having all that work and that's the thing i think in my career that i'm most upset about is i think i was really prepared to work in my 30s <laughs> like properly hard like no i don't think anyone has worked as hard as i did during time gentlemen please right. uh, and i was prepared to do it um, and, you know, prepared to give up my, on everything else in my life, more or less, in order to, to do that. Um, and it, I sort of wish that in my 30s someone had gone, hey, look, here's a series, go and do that. Here's Because, you know, I had the energy and the, and the belief in myself and the, uh, and, the, and the talent, I think, to make something good. Yeah. Um, but the, then the sort of the getting the stability of, you know, falling in love with my wife and her thankfully falling in love with me and making that work has been great for me. Having kids has been amazing for me uh, and it's not for everyone, but it's, it's, and I'm glad I've had them late really in most ways. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I really, really appreciate who they are and what they are, even though they do not appreciate me. And, you know, and going into the podcasting and, and just going, and even at the time when I started podcasting and no one was, you know, hardly anyone was podcasting when I started mm. podcasting, other comedians going, why would you do that? You're not getting paid. You're insane. You're nuts. Why are you doing that? And I was going, well, it's what's more important to me is I can just get my, I can have an idea in the moment and get it out there. Yeah. Uh, I could see early on it was going to be a way of, you know, just advertising yourself to people. I was, you know, and I what it, it was when I when I went back to being solo. There wasn't like a, and even when we we're in the double act, we were touring. Not that many people would come and see us, to be honest. You know, we occasionally played to audiences of like five hundred or a bit more, but mainly mm. we're playing to a hundred, two hundred, which, given we were on TV, was not that many. Wow. Um, and so when I but when I went back to stand up, I was right back to twenty or thirty, and I've built 
up that my audience that I get now, which is still modest and is now, you know, occasionally over 500 as I'm back to where we were. Uh, and usually not let, you know, I think what, what the last stand up tour I did, I was hoping to get over 100 at every venue and one got 94. But basically, the average was about 250. Wherever I was, it was about 250 and sometimes 500, 600, sometimes 700, 800. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is great, unbelievably good. But I've built that up over doing a show every year and then starting doing podcasting and finding my audience. As a result, I've got an amazing audience who are great, you know, are a great comedy audience and you don't get, I don't get people who just go, oh, I've seen him on the telly, I'll see what he's like. Oh no, this isn't for me. So I get an audience who get me and who bring someone along the next year who will also get me. And any other comedian who shares my audience goes, your audience are so lovely, they're so amazing. So, you know, they're a great comedy audience. So I'm so lucky, and none of this stuff is planned. But I think just the autonomy of doing what I'm doing online and being able to do whatever I want to do, except obviously for things that cost hundreds of thousands of pounds, yeah. which I would quite like to do as well, um, <laughs> is just so good for me. So the fact that I can play myself at snooker, if I'd taken that into a TV company... They they would have said, you know, <laughs> fuck off. What the fuck are you thinking? Uh, and they still would. I mean, it has actually been far, four minutes of it's been on TV now because there was a lockdown show where they we, we used a bit of it. But you know, I may I may have to go. No, I think this is I think there's something good in this. I'm going to keep on doing it, and I've been doing that for like about ten years now as well. <laughs> so on and off. Uh, and you know, and the podcast, no one would have hired me to be to do a an interview show but i've been i've done like 450 episodes i think if you include all the edinburgh ones yeah. uh so that you know that's more than almost any interview in the world it's incredible. Outside, it's incredible outside of america you know where, but even then they're, they're yeah i mean they're, they're doing four four or five a week so yeah there, there'll be american interviewers who do more than that but yeah there's there's you know you just being able to get on with it and now it you know now it does i mean it, i realized that it did make me money um in a way, anyway, because people would buy my DVDs or books or uh, come and see the live. You know, I just noticed my live audience within a year or so had sort of doubled from fifty to a hundred. You know, it was that sort of difference. But that was that made touring viable rather than something that was a lot of work for you know a tiny amount of money at the end of it. It made a lot of work for a reasonable amount of money at the end of it, uh, or you know, a worthwhile amount of money at the end of it. Um, still not huge amounts, but fine. Um, and <laughs> yeah. and you know, and you're building up a, a loyal kind of following. Uh, and I was, you know, if I'd planned this, I would be a genius, right? I'd, I'd be <laughs> a utter genius. But it was there was no plan to it. People said you're nuts for doing this. Why would you give stuff away for free? Why aren't you making people pay? But actually, you give stuff away free, and enough people want to contribute at some point down the line it's still a tiny percentage but it's enough if you get enough people then it's it's enough yeah. to then start you know i wish i'd been i wish it had happened 15 years earlier for me obviously that was impossible because i think you know i think i'm still a little bit too old to really reap the long-term benefits of it but you know maybe in the next five or ten years i will, will be earning enough money from what we're doing to start making the sitcoms that the TV decided weren't for them, <laughs> or to make films, or to do, or you know, or to employ other people, I think are good to make their stuff because you know we're now starting to make, and I still see the podcast revenue as podcast revenue, and we just plough back into making more podcasts. But yes. it has got to a point where it's if you've got a hundred thousand paid people plus downloading your show every week you can make a nice bit of money from it you know so it's it it was it it was worth doing as a business decision but that was ne you know the money was never the money no. wasn't ever on my mind you know it was 
if anything, oh, maybe we'll get some work out of it eventually. But, yeah. you know, even when we started, but really it was just, that'll be fun and that'll be a way of getting ideas out there. And it was a way of generating ideas that then became stand-up shows as well. So, um, you know, yeah, so it was, it was, you know, I think I was, I was in my 30s, I think I probably was properly depressed most mm. of the time. And, you know, and it, it, those Edinburgh's were so, you know, and they, I still get it in Edinburgh usually like, once most edinburgh's where i will think i'm not i'm going to give up comedy you know this is crazy why yeah, am i doing yeah, yeah. it but it used to be most of edinburgh i'd be thinking why am i doing this to myself why am i putting myself through this and uh you know the the pressure of edinburgh was too much now luckily you know people come and most of the shows are you know i, I know are okay but it's even when i did you know, i did a play in 2014 i think it was wasn't it where, where i lost about 50 50 grand Wow. And 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 I, you know, and I knew from day 3 of the fringe that that was right. going to be the case. Well, and my stand-up show didn't do as well as usual because it was on later and in a different venue and and I'd been banking on that. You know, I knew I was going to lose yeah. some money, but I'd been banking on that doing well enough to cover most of the losses and I've been I think I lost between the two shows. I think I lost maybe it was 45, I can't even remember. It was a lot of money, right? Oh, uh, but wow. uh, that was a depressing year. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's been plenty of years, but I, but also probably in the three or four Edinburgh's before that, I'd probably I'd made that money, you know. So I'd got to the point where Edinburgh was not as profitable as it would have been if you'd been doing something else, but I'd probably eaten up three or four Edinburgh's worth of profit in that one year of disaster, you know. So it mm. wasn't... By doing two or three shows a year, I have to say, which yes. is the way to make it profitable, <laughs> and doing podcasts and stuff, which were... And working at the stand and stuff with some of it, so it was possible to make a bit of money with some of it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it was... So there's still depressing times, and there's still times when it's heartbreaking to have an idea that doesn't get taken up um and you know there's been certainly loads again script what tv wise script writing wise um nearly everything i've written you know hasn't ended up getting made or has got a certain distance and the last thing that i thought was really good we where we had noel fielding and we did a 10 minute taster and everyone loved it apart from the two people who made the the decision you know everyone who worked yeah. on it went this is the best script i've ever seen the, you know the director was going this is amazing and worked on proper stuff uh and we had a brilliant cast and it didn't get you know it didn't get made um and you know it's, that's still you still you you to do this you've got to put so much of yourself into something. Yes. And I think throughout my thirties, I decided not to put my heart and soul into it because it was too painful to um, for to fail. So rather yes. than to rather than um, take the chance and fail and go okay, you wouldn't you wouldn't make the script as good as it could be if you really put your soul into it. Because it felt like it, you know, it felt like as a person who didn't have babies that I'd I'd had a baby and then I took it in and someone stamped on its head, yeah, uh, and it, it, yeah. it was not as bad as that. Have now I have babies, but it was, it, you know, it, it was time, a similar. Yeah. It felt it felt that bad, it, you know. So you would you would protect yourself by not by missing deadlines or or you know I, I think maybe you know I think I have to blame myself a little bit for not being for that time in my theory my thirties where things didn't take off because people were commissioning me for stuff and I wasn't writing the scripts in time and then often I'd eventually squeeze something out and by the time I took it in it was a different person behind the desk and they're not going to take someone else's you know someone else's commission generally speaking so that's usually what happened sometimes I was unlucky and it happened you know uh, not because I dragged my feet, but nearly every time I gave something in, it was to a different person than had championed me mm. before. And I think, you know, and I think it was a bit of a, I think I 
slightly self-sabotaged um, yes. uh, in order to pr- in, in order not to feel the disappointment of of failure as i've got older you know i don't think any of it matters i think it used to matter to me so much uh, and the idea of being successful and the idea of being you know i wanted to be Rick Mayer. I wanted to be Rick Mayer. You know, I wanted mm. the whole world to love me <laughs> and think I was the best <laughs> comedian ever. I wanted to be that. And as I've got older, I've realised that's not necessarily a great thing to be. You know, I didn't even learn the lesson of my own fandom of Rick Mayer and that he couldn't live up to my own fandom of him, you know. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's better yeah. to... You know, I feel so lucky that I'm still working. I feel so lucky that I've got, you know, I've I've... I've met a, a, a fantastic woman who's given me two fantastic children and that we get on most of the time. Uh, and I feel, you know, I feel so lucky still to be working and, and to be able to be in a position where I do what I want and have the control over it and, you know, and, yeah, and not have to worry about spending, whether I'm spending a quid in the supermarket or, you know, that not having to count every single penny anymore. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I sort of have lucked out and I think possibly... You know, and I can walk down the street, and most people aren't going to know who the fuck I am. And the people who do will just go, "Hey, I like you." Uh, you know, so that's 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 a really lovely life compared to what I think could have happened if you know Lee and Herring had taken off and become Little Britain. Yeah, I, I'm not sure either of us would still be here. You know, I generally, I I think we'd have gone two different ways of self-destruction. Mm, yeah, uh, and right. uh, so, you know, it's it's really interesting to look back on it. It's really. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if, like, in my thirties, I might have had a sitcom that had been on TV that people might remember or might. So, look, I had one time, gentlemen, please. Some yeah. people remember it and like it. Most people don't know it existed. It doesn't. In the end of the day, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it was valuable to me because it was the thing that allowed me to own a house. Yes, but it's so you know, and I knew at the time. I thought. Well, as I bought the house anyway, I thought it, when it when the the, the relationship fell, fell apart, I thought, well, you know, I've the work I've done on that show is going to be a you know is going to be a, a is going to be the sort of uh, uh, the the foundations of something for the family that I don't yet have, and I I remember thinking that, and it was exactly right, you know, I I, I I'm in a position of some you know of 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 not not having to struggle as much as I would have had to do yeah. uh, because of that insane work I did in my <laughs> early 30s I mean I did 6 years work in 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 2 years you know and I sort of did 5 years work in 1 year really I would say wow uh, and you know but got 5 years work of of well paid uh, you know well paid work as well so um but so all the things that have happened to me I think you know I think that's the thing to realize there were times where I was probably I don't think I would ever really have, have killed myself, but there were times when I felt like mm. wanting to, you know, felt to, um, felt like dying. When I think when maybe in two thousand four, when I did the Hercules Terrace show, um, I took on lots of challenges and like running a marathon and right and doing parachute jumps. And I think a part of me thought, you know, if that running a marathon kills me, you know. That'd be all right, yeah. you know. There was, a, you know, that's yeah. a good way of doing it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. No one's going to be like, going, "Oh no, he, why did he kill himself? Oh, he just he was too fat to run a marathon." <laughs> it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit sad, but you know, that's that's the way it goes. Uh, so you know, I, I, I was, you know, I was, I, I think there were elements of self destruction in that, and and certainly not looking after myself well enough. Um, but um, I do remember seeing you in. I was in the first time I went to Edinburgh as a. I was flyering for Just the Tonic. 
Yeah. And I remember being sat in a bar <clears throat> and I was just talking to a few people and I saw you, you were in, in another corner of the bar and you looked yeah. really crestfallen. Right. And I just went, oh my God, he looks really sad. And I, and it, now I know that Edinburgh would do that to you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's not life, it's just... Well, no, but it does. It feels so real at the time. And lots of Edinburgh's, you know, I used to think about throwing myself off the bridge in Edinburgh, you know, with all my (laughs) bad reviews stapled to me, you know, just so that all the reviews, you know, and again, I was never going to do it. But you think, wouldn't that be just show the fuckers, you know, all the work I've put into this. But I remember the first Edinburgh, I saw Arthur Smith sitting in a bar looking morose. and And I said to me, you know, is this what? I was saying to my friends, "Is this what I'm? Is this the business I'm getting into? Am I? This is what he's one of my heroes already, yeah. and you know, am I going to do this and be that sad? And yeah, I was. You know, at, at times I was, uh, but you know, it is. But it's part of life, and it's part of you know whatever you're doing, you're going to be sad that things aren't going to go your way, mm. and uh, and it's the way you learn from those things and cope with those things. And I think it took me a long time to learn it, and I was, you know, I the I I look, you know, I I can't really drink alcohol in great you know on new year's eve mm. i drank a bottle of champagne and a whiskey and a beer and i had the worst hangover i've ever had that would have been yeah. the first hour of my drinking <laughs> in my 20s or 30s you know you can't yeah, keep going yeah. but i i look back at my 20s and 30s and think i was just drunk every night you know i was drunk every yeah. night and you know didn't always have to get up and you know if you got lucky you'd you know you'd be, you'd wake up in bed with a stranger if that's lucky and uh, yeah. you know and and then sort of have a hangover but more or less be able to you know I could get through we did our tv shows probably with having having been pissed the night before uh, and then got pissed immediately after we'd done it and it feels like an, an immense waste of time and money and you know youth but i guess it was you know it's just i guess you're it, out of the time yeah it's you know again yeah. you know i guess it was good too but uh, it just feels, I wonder what if I hadn't had that, if I hadn't been drinking. And I wasn't, I don't think I was an alcoholic and I don't think it was a problem even. I think it was just the culture that that's what we all did. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I am sort of, every now and again, I'm, I go through. A, I gave up drinking for thirteen months a couple of years ago, and I've I've I've, I've given up again. You know, post New Year, which is a like six days or something, seven days. Uh, but um, you know, it's it sort of you start to think, oh, you know, maybe if I didn't bother with drinking, you know, all the all the stuff you could have done with with your time. But yeah, yeah. I was, I, you know, there was, I was, I was, I found it difficult to make friends. I found it difficult to to go out with people. Uh, I found it difficult to, you know, even have romantic relationships without being, without being drunk when I met the person. I'm not same, sure. I, yeah, I'm not same. sure I had sex sober in my twenties. <laughs> um, you know, and that's even with having girlfriends and stuff. Like yeah, that. Right. I must have. I must have done a bit. A bit but um, you know, and it's it's uh, you know, I, I was, and I found that I found it all difficult to cope with. And I think a lot of the time in the nineties, you know, I was, you know, Stu wasn't interested in. You know, you, she was my main person I would see, but you know, we didn't want to go and spend our weekends together as well. You know, so no. I would spend a lot of time sitting in my flat and on weekends and being too scared to call anyone because you'd think, well, like, it's too late now. You know, I can't ring someone up on Saturday night. They'll be doing something or they'll go, oh, you know, and I didn't want to impose on anyone. Oh, wow. And so I spent a lot of time on my own. You know, in the nineties, and then one, and then once I was. You know, in the 2000s, even there was a lot of time. It took me, a, I think it took the Hercules Terrace show to make me realize. And I was, and I think I was probably having a, a breakdown at that point. Right. And actually getting through that show and doing the things I did, a lot of them were crazy. Um, 
but actually doing it and completing it. And I did a thing in that where I dated 50 women in 50 nights. Wow. Uh, and uh, just based on Hercules, something Hercules did, it wasn't one of his official tasks. <laughs> uh, but it actually gave me, like, the confidence... It made me realise, like, hey, there's loads of single people out here. If you're not, if you do, if you actually just go out with people for the sake of, I'm, I've got to do this thing where I've got to date fifty people in fifty days, people would go out with you. But also, it was easy to find people. And I think, until, and I was, you know, mid thirties by that point, and I don't think I'd realised, you know, just ask people if they want to go for a drink. It doesn't matter if you're, yeah, you know. And I'd, I've been so wound up and so shy to think about stuff like that. So I think that show gave me the confidence to push on and do stand-up it was what led me to do stand-up uh, it pushed me on to be like you know to be more adventurous in uh, in asking people out without just bumping into them in <laughs> drunk in the street uh, and uh, you know it was it, it was a it was a big thing but I was a very late starter in terms of feeling confident enough about myself and even now I think I still I still have that sort of shyness and and that sort of self-doubt but it's 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 way less worse than than it used to be. So I oh, think I've got it's that. Yeah. yeah. I have that but you know, this. it's just you go why why you know why I just again I look back on you know things that I now look at and go that woman was so into you and why did you not realize <laughs> and you know you sort of realize but you were too shy to say should we go out for a drink. You know, in your, in your teens and 20s you go why didn't why wouldn't you do that you stupid prick um and so you know it does and even if you ask them and they go no what have you lost compared to yeah, it doesn't matter doesn't so that that know. Uh, you know and it is, and people found it you know people find it unbelievable that a comedian would be able to go up and talk to uh, you know 500 people and then be too scared to talk to people in a bar afterwards i have it with this yeah getting get, getting guests for this I get in my own way because I'm like, oh, they're going to say no. So yeah. I don't. So I don't email. Yeah. It takes me ages. Yeah, and I don't know yeah, why. Well, me too as well. You know, and there's people who think, oh, you know, they won't say, it. but you know, why not? Yeah, you're right. No, why not? Just if you go and do things and you're proactive and you do stuff, mostly things will probably go your way anyway. But even if they don't, it's still <laughs> better than not trying. Exactly. Um, and you know, it's there's levels of that because some people misunderstand. You know, you've got to be sensitive to understanding how social situations work and how relationships yes. work, both sexual and just friendly relationships. And some people, I guess it mine a lot came from seeing people who had no social awareness cr crashing into, a, you know, in Edinburgh or whatever, someone coming into a group of people and being annoying and not even knowing they're being annoying and being inappropriate and not realising they're being inappropriate. Yes. And uh, me thinking, what if I'm that guy? What if when I go yeah. to groups of people, I'm that guy? So I would just, you know, I was so... I'm not, I think, again, because I wasn't on the stand-up circuit and because I had this r relationship with the stand-up circuit, a lot of Edinburghs, I was just sitting around too scared to even go and talk to other comics and stuff because so I would just sit... I, was, I think I'd sit in the Pleasance hoping someone would come and talk to me, you know, but a lot that mostly they didn't. So a lot of it was, you know, just heading home on your own, feeling bad about your reviews. And uh, it, again, it took me, I think coming back to stand up, 2000, uh, 2004, coming back to stand up, 2008, meeting my wife and, and coming into podcasting and and everything in between there, that gave me the confidence, I think, to just, you know, be sure sure enough of who I was and, but up up until then, yeah, it was it had been a really really difficult journey, and I and I don't know because I you know I don't know if I could go back now if I could time travel back to me at thirty and go look mate, just you know you're okay, <laughs> you're you're an okay guy <laughs> to hang around with, you're good fun, people like you, 
You know, girls yeah. will like you if you if you bother talking to them. They will like you because <laughs> you're not as much of a dick as most of the other guys. <laughs> Even though you're a bit of a dick, you're still not as much of a dick as the other guys. Oh my god! Uh, and you, you know, know would it, but would I listen or would I still? I don't think I would listen. I think you have to find those things yourself. I would say to people listening, if you're that person, do just try and be proactive and just. You know, I think what, what was really interesting about that fifty dates thing, and it's, I guess it does. It's not so relevant now because people date in a in a in a in this kind of casual way much more in the UK now, thanks to apps uh, of various kinds. Mm. So you can hook, you have those hookup apps. But if you're looking for something that's more of a hookup anyway, or even if you're looking for a hookup, just you know, doing something like go oh, this week, I'm going to go out with seven different people. Once we're allowed to go out again, uh, yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to zoom seven different people and just have a chat with them. What I was amazed at was just how well I sort of got on with pretty much everyone, and even how people there was there were people who were blind dates or people I might know through a friend of a friend, but most of them were like friend of friend. It wasn't like on the internet random people. It was friends of friends, nearly all. And there, there were women you'd meet and go. Oh yeah, no, this isn't gonna. No, there's not gonna be anything going on here. Yeah, uh, this isn't my type, or you know, there's something I don't like about this or that. But because you spent an evening chatting with them, sometimes you would just go, yeah, definitely nothing there. But quite often, to a couple of hours talking to someone, you would find that common ground. You would find that your type wasn't your type. You'd find someone else who's. And my type at that point was really bad for me, and I went out with lots of, uh, again, kind of controlling. Mm. you know mentally unstable people <laughs> which i was quite excited about but then i realized oh maybe my type is someone who's a bit more together and it's pleasant maybe that's could my type be people who are nice to me wow <laughs> you weirdo that could be my new type um so you know it's it's you you learn about yourself and and you don't you know you lose and if you have a bad date or a bad social interaction or whatever it is or a bad visit to a shop what you know i wouldn't go to restaurants on my own because i was scared of you know what i in a, especially in a foreign country because i was scared of how you did it you know so i would just yes. get a sandwich <laughs> and or just walk around trying to look for one cafe where i could work out how it worked you know or where i would be able to sit without people seeing me sitting on my own as if you know if anyone's looking who cares they don't care you know they go no. is that guy in there it's only yourself caring about it um no, no, and, so similar we're so yeah. similar and uh but you know you just so all these things just give it a go you don't lose anything by giving it a go and you might gain something by giving it a go and i think you'll find you'll mostly gain things and if you've had a bad if you're having a bad night with someone or you don't click with someone um as long as they don't punch you in the face <laughs> or kill you then yeah. uh it's you know it's it, nothing is lost you know and i it's think just that's one of those things yeah yeah and there's too much i think there's too much put on i think it goes back to you know, being a teenager and you're worried about what your mates will say if you about whichever girl you fancy, you know, and it's pathetic. Yeah. Because they all of them want to just have sex with whoever they can have sex with or, <laughs> or snog whoever they get snog. And then they go, oh, they'll only go, oh, what, her, out of jealousy that you've snogged yeah. someone. So, and you're, you've still got that in the back of your mind. What will, what will Steve Cheek say about this girl if he finds out I've kissed this girl? Um, so, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> you know, I think, but it's about you know maturing and when you mature. And I was such a slow starter, and I, it's pathetic, really. But it was good for my career. And I was just, yeah, I was obsessed with being a comedian. I wanted to do comedy more than anything else, um, and I wanted to be funny more than anything else. And I think I blew a lot of potential dates and stuff because I thought it would be funny to 
do the wrong thing, you know. Yeah. In a yeah. dating situation. <laughs> and that you and also thought, well, and if this girl's into me, she'll find it funny too that I'm deliberately rude to her or you know, or whatever you do that undermines the, the notion of dating, or if I don't I don't follow the conventions of dating and try and do something different. Uh, and you know, occasionally that was true, but but it's but it's um, you know, stupid. So most, you know, life's it's long in a lot of ways. Uh, but yeah. like when suddenly when you get to fifty three, you go fuck. You, are, you know, there's in it. You think you're, you think you're going to be young forever, and then you go, oh fuck, I'm fifty three. Fuck, I'm a I'm, yeah. I'm uh, an old. I'm a really old. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no way you can't go back, Rich. You can't go back no. to being thirty again. Oh. And I think when you're thirty, you think, oh, I'll always be thirty. I'll be fine. No. Oh. I'm at that point now because I'll be I'm 50 next year, so I'm at that. I'm like 49, yep. and in my head I'm like it's all over, it's all done. <laughs> I'm finished. I'm finished, and I can't. I've just got to keep telling that voice to shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, it's not all over, but like uh, there, it, some things are over, and it's good that they're over. But you, <laughs> yeah. but you don't you know. I don't know. When you're 30, you just think it'll go on forever, and you know there'll always be. Even though I got married, I don't know if that went wrong. Then I'd I'd be back, you know. I'd just be back. Yeah. I'd be going out, doing it, drinking. <laughs> no, you won't, mate. You're fifty-three. Just grow up. <laughs> it's tragic. It's tragic. Now. Rich, this has been fantastic. No, it's Thank been you lovely. so Thanks, much, mate. Thank you. I better, I better go back and home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where can we find you, Rich? Online. Uh, Richherring.com uh, is. Uh, we'll have most of the links. I'm on Twitter on Herring1967, where I tweet about all the. Twitch stuff I'm doing. It's RK Herring on Twitch where I do stuff, uh, especially during lockdown. I seem to be doing three or four nights a week of nonsense on there, wow. including Rahalaspa, which is a bit less nonsensical. Um, but yeah, just check your podcast for Rahalaspa, I guess, is uh, the main Yes. The main one. Fantastic. Rich, thank you so much. Cheers, man. Insane in the membrane. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production.